life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. Hello everyone, this is Jan Murray, the host of Life After That. I wanted to insert a little blurb here prior to the episode with Amanda Block. In January, since the episode for this podcast was first recorded, Amanda suffered a stroke due to a carotid artery dissection. She spent some time in the hospital, but is now at home on the road to recovery. Thankfully, at this point, she has no outward signs of a stroke that you would even notice. While they are unsure of the cause of the dissection, high blood pressure and significant amounts of stress are known to be contributing factors. The years following the caregiving role are a time of unique healing, requiring attentive medical care. If she could, Amanda would have included in the podcast that you are about to hear the importance of taking care of yourself and being very aware of all impacts of stress on your body as a caregiver, including post-ALS. We here at Life After That wish Amanda continued recovery and abundant life as she continues to deal with high blood pressure as well as migraines. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Life After That. And we have Amanda Block from Alberta, Canada, back with us today. Uh, In the previous episode, she talked about her husband, Dale, who passed away in 2020 from amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And... uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about what Amanda's done since he passed away then and uh, just really what it's been like to rebuild her life after uh, 30 plus years with uh, the love of her life. So Amanda, welcome back to life after that. Thank you. It's good to be back, Jen. Thank you. So tell us, uh, he passed away when in 2020? November 23rd. Oh, right before the holidays and everything. Yeah. So um, what actually ultimately led to that? What led to his demise finally? And then how did you cope with all of that? Um, So we were 33 years in to our marriage, by the way. uh, And we had the three and a half years of gradual, um, the process of, of living with ALS and the process of dying with ALS. And towards the end, he just found it more difficult to breathe. There were times that his oxygen went down pretty low. We had a couple of experiences where his oxygen levels went down to the 30s and came back up again, which is quite unusual, mm-hmm. um, went out without any cognitive dysfunction at all so that happened while he was in the hospital the week before he passed Um, but then we were able to bring him home we knew that we were days to weeks from uh, losing him but we were able to bring him home so I'm very thankful for that so breathing was a big part of it he was on a trilogy breathing machine full-time and uh, he was on a lot of medication um, I felt a little bit like a, a pharmaceutical <laughs> dispensary. We, we had fentanyl and hydromorphone and midazolam and all of the things. And 
he started to have trouble clearing his lungs. And I think that's probably what took him in the end. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it was all the medication that he was on that ultimately he just went to sleep in the evening, didn't wake up. That's probably what it was ultimately, but it was because he, he was starting to have some discomfort and he couldn't clear his lungs very well. We had a cough assist machine, but his lungs were filling up. And I think that's probably a pretty common part of the end stages of ALS. So that's, that's probably what happened right at the very end. But thankfully we were able to have him home and thankfully we were all able to be with him. And I don't take that for granted because I know that that doesn't happen for everybody. So um, after all of that, um, let's just say after your memorial services or funerals and whatnot, uh, are you home alone at this point? And, you know, how did you react yourself? I mean, uh, was it just days or weeks or months of just not sure what to do? Or did you immediately get back into life? I mean, what's your story in terms of that? It was a very challenging time because it was a combination of ALS and empty nest syndrome and kids getting married and uh, felt like a lot of things happening at the same time. So it was definitely very challenging for me. Uh, I, we had been living with some family, so I immediately moved back to our home and it was quiet. And I, I, I don't think there's much more to say other than it was the, the silence was deafening and it was just very, very lonely. I love having people around me and I had had a house full for years and all of a sudden everybody was gone with no hope of them coming back. And so that probably was uh, the biggest challenge for me. I would say it's taken me, as I had mentioned before, about two years now until I can, I, I start, I'm starting to feel like my cognitive function is coming back. I'm starting to get better at remembering names and commitments and um, explaining things and processing things. It's, it was very, very hard for most of the last two years, just beginning to get there now. Um, I took early retirement from my teaching job. I just knew that I could not function back in a classroom with 25 to 30 students and do all the things that I needed to do at that point in time. I knew I, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't do a, a good job of it. And so I took early retirement and I've spent some time traveling. I determined before he, uh, before he graduated that I wanted to um, travel to the East Coast and the West Coast and visit some people. So I did that right away. I think um, there's a, a slight element of um, a low grade depression that hangs over my head and probably still does but I make the choice to smile in public and to get motivated and to do things, to exercise, to learn new things, to be creative, to, to reach out to other people. Um, it would be easy to curl up into a little ball and, and you have to make a decision not to do that. There are times that I just end up 
on my kitchen floor in a, a puddle of tears. And I, I have a, a little bit of time where I wail <laughs> and grieve alone, but then I pick myself up. And when I go out into the world, I choose to behave in the way that I want to feel like I'm behaving, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. You and I sound very much alike. Um, <laughs> I and my mother, actually, my my dad died over 20 years ago. My stepdad died like 13 years ago. Um, and my mom told me after my stepdad died and she moved across state. She moved from South Alabama to Daytona Beach, Florida. And I'm like, you've never lived there. What are you doing? <laughs> but um, my brother lived nearby. But uh, when I went to visit her for the first time, and uh, it was the first respite I'd had in three and a half years. Finally had that arranged so I could get away for a little bit. And I went down there for two days, just two days. And um, she sat there and she says, well, what I decided was if I'm going to have a life, I have to go out there and claim it for myself. Nobody's going to give it to me. And I can either sit here and be depressed and sad because your dad and Bill, her her Bill, my husband was a Bill too. Um is gone or I can live life. And she said, I make myself get up every day and do something. And my husband was always keep on keeping on being sad or mad about it. It's not going to make anything better for me. It's not going to make it better for you. And so I've tried to live by his mantra and my mom's. And it sounds like you do the same thing. We're just like, we've, we're making a choice not to sit here and get depressed. I will say the first year I felt like I was in a fog. Definitely. Were you in a a fog? It's like that first year, a a fog. It's almost like a gift to us to give us a chance to kind of breathe. And then year two, I found to be quite difficult. That's when I really started asking myself, who am I? Did you go through that as well? Definitely. I, I think there's so much about it. That's about finding your new identity. You aren't who you were before you're not part of a partnership in the same way anymore and uh yeah you it's it's it can be very confusing at times but yeah that's a really good way of putting it I do think the fog is a bit of a gift for a while um I'm just so thankful for so many people who have built into me and I have initiated and pursued Um, relationships with friends and family and professionals who have built into me and uh, without whom I'm I'm not sure that my journey would have looked quite the same. I'm I'm very thankful for that. And, you know, in terms of reaching out to other people now who are experiencing ALS, I definitely find myself in situations where I am spending time with newly diagnosed people um, and a, a very good friend of mine who who lost her daughter to ALS and I have started up a, a nationwide support group in Canada. We meet once a month on Zoom and we are finding that there are some very interesting people from across Canada who just want to spend time with people who get it. And so that's a, a way of reaching out to other people. And I think that fills part of the hole in me to to love other people I mean I I've determined to live my life in truth which I don't think I I think I thought I lived truthfully before 
And now I'm, I'm starting to understand more what truth means for me. And I'm determined to live while I'm alive. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that you can't give away too much love. And so, um, yeah, my approach to a lot of things has changed. Same. I, 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 pretty much every part of me, my belief system, pretty much everything shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a massive shift. And uh, I go into that a little bit in my episodes on my story. But um, so what you're doing with the Zoom meetings there in Canada, that's your way of reaching out, kind of like my way of reaching out with this podcast. Yes. Um, I It's taken me, though, five years to get to a point to feel like I can do this without breaking down and crying while I'm talking to you. And right. I think you're you're yards ahead of me you're doing it after (laughs) two years that's amazing I couldn't have done it at the end of two years well you know it's funny I mean the tears just come when you least expect them and you just have to humble yourself and let them flow (laughs) doesn't it hit you in the strangest places it's like getting groceries out of the car I drop something rolls out and I'm like where is Bill (laughs) I could really use them right now you know Um, the strangest times or that's right you know, if it gets, if it storms and I'm not really scared of storms too much, but sometimes I'm just like, man, I could really use a hug. I miss hugs. I miss his oh, hugs so hugs, much. Hugs, I miss the hugs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the hugs are probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and holding hands. Those yeah. We things. went to sleep for 30 something years, holding hands every mm-hmm. night. Um, and yeah. people who know us from way back will would say, well, wherever Bill was, there's Jan, wherever Jan was, there's Bill. And that's true. We were always together unless he was off with the Air Force or Air National Guard somewhere, or we were at work. But the rest of the time, we we were always together. So, um, yeah, so it just sounds, and, and when I talked to another lady the other night, we all are actually on a very similar plane. I, I'm not, uh, I'm hearing our experiences are different. Uh, like we were pretty much just stuck where we were. You got to travel. They had uh, lots of family in. It was, you know, we're different experiences, but at the same time, what I'm hearing is similarities. And I think this could really help other people to know, hey, you're really not alone. Lots of us have already gone through it, you know, reach out to us because I'm in a spot now where I feel like I can talk to people, which is I've started commenting on those support groups again, which I didn't for a while. And you've got your group going. I just think it's wonderful. So, so what has been the reaction inside your Zoom group so far? What are you hearing or seeing or feeling about all that? I'm just seeing it as a place where people are free to be completely honest about how it's affected them, how it continues to affect them. They can say things that they can't say in general public. There are just some things that you don't understand unless you've lived with ALS. And I know that there are a lot of crazy things that people live with in the world and everybody has their own story. I'm well aware of that. But to be with people who who get it uh, is very valuable. So it's very casual. We're very casual in our group. And, now, is this group just for Canadians or are you outside of the Canadian borders as well? At this point in time, we're just Canadians. Um, okay. We've seen a lot of online support groups all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just have an amazing support group in the ALS Society of Alberta that has its own grief support Zoom. And we saw that need in other provinces too. So we've just reached out across Canada at this point. 
Well, that's wonderful. So if a listener, because this podcast has already been downloaded in multiple countries, mm-hmm. including Canada. So if there are other people in Canada hearing this and they're wanting to touch base, what's the best way for them to find you? Contact an ALS association or what? That's a good question. Um, yes, they could probably contact you and you could give them my email address. I think that would probably be the best. Okay. Um, or they could contact the ALS Society of Alberta in Calgary and get uh, my number from them. Okay. Um, that is probably the best way to do it, I would think. Okay, and that would work if anybody wants to reach out and you're in Canada. Uh, the email for this podcast is lifeafterthatpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to reach and if, out. And if, if they're on any of the um, North American uh, ALS support groups on Facebook, mm-hmm. there are many of those that we're advertising before our monthly meetings what what we have going on so the cals um pals and cals in canada yeah in the states and the canadian pals and cals also on facebook we advertise on there so that they can private message us and we can add them to the email list for our zooms monthly for sure and i i mean there are so many things i think that are specific to als but there are some things i think that are specific to people who love people who are going through ALS. So um, I've had a lot of people say to me, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to help. And uh, one of the websites that I have found that I think is incredibly helpful for people who want to love people who are grieving is speakinggrief.org. And if you're familiar with that website, but it's got some really good ideas about how to Be there for people who you love when they are in grief or in crisis, what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do, different ways to approach. And uh, this is a very well-rounded website. If somebody is listening who doesn't know how to help a person that they care about. So what would your ultimate advice be to a caregiver who has lost someone to ALS or or about to lose someone, or maybe they're a child or just a partner in life to someone, what would your advice be to them in the beginning days and as they progress through their grief cycle? Breathe, breathe. At the beginning, all you can do is breathe. And as time goes by, you're going to cycle through so many different pieces of grief. And to know that There aren't specific stages of grief and they don't go in order and it isn't a thing. You are going to have wild variations of what you experience and that it's okay. And you will, you will make it. You will feel like you're not going to make it, but you will make it and it will get gentler. It won't go away ever, but it will get a little bit more gentle but it's going to take a lot of time and you will be a different person. Very good. I agree with everything you had to say there. And uh, what I tell people is grieve in your own time. There will be people who may tell you, well, you should be able to move on now. It's been long enough. Don't listen. Uh, right. you, you have to grieve and progress in your own time and in your own way. However, you don't want to get stuck 
So after a certain period of time, if you are spending all of your days and nights in the house, in his chair, in her chair, you really need to work hard to pull out of that because you can get trapped. You have to do it in your own time, but you've got to also find a way to get out of that. At least that's the way I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. You need to experience it. You need to let yourself go through the process, but you also need to know that it's okay to get counseling. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to pursue help for yeah. sure. Even if it's just reaching out to a podcast or to a Zoom group or one of the uh, wonderful support groups on Facebook. I mean, I've made some wonderful friends in those groups over the last few years, and uh, it's just real important to reach out. So, well, Amanda, I thank you so, so much for coming on to Life After That and sharing your story and how you've been doing the last two years. And I hope that, uh, and I feel like others who listen will get a lot out of this as well. So thank you again for meeting with us today. Thank you, Jan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.